Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I saw this Sunday coming for quite some time. That's a strange statement, isn't it? You saw it coming for a while too, didn't you? It's been on the calendar forever. But uh, this Sunday has uh, been uh, one that I've had a red circle around for quite a while because today is the day that uh, following our service and during, even during worship a little bit, uh, we want to reveal to you some of the plans for our church going forward. Um, as I got away a few weeks ago to try to prepare some sermons and to prepare uh, some sermons for the coming uh, few months, I didn't get terribly far. Uh, because it dawned on me that uh, with the coming announcement that we knew was, was coming, uh, there would need to be some sermons around it. There would need to be uh, some vision cast. And uh, so uh, that's what I decided to do today. So if you've been coming the last few weeks and you've left this just uh, bummed out and depressed because we've been looking at Ecclesiastes... Uh, we're not doing that today. So if you came ready to be, you know, bummed and soured and depressed, um, that's not going to happen unless you leave depressed for other reasons, but it won't be for Ecclesiastes. Uh, today, we're going to actually take some time uh, to talk about our church. And if you're visiting with us and you're thinking, oh, brother, what a weird Sunday to be here. Um, it's actually a really good Sunday for you to be here. Uh, because you get to hear about the church and what it's supposed to be about, at least from my perspective and I think from a biblical perspective. You'll get to hear, why does a church exist and and what is it trying to do and and what's the point of this? Um, And I think you'll walk away with thinking either, wow, that's a heretic, I've never heard those kind of thoughts before, or, or you'll think, wow, I've never heard it put that way before, it's very interesting. Hopefully, if you're visiting and, and you live in Ray, you will hear a church's vision that you think, I'd like to be a part of that. If you are a part of this church and you've been coming for a really long time, you can't even remember when you weren't here, um, and neither can we, uh, you get to hear again why this church exists. We, be, we get to be reminded. And, and we get to have the, the, you know, the Wizard of Oz. Remember those movies? And, and they pull back the curtain and back there is just this short little guy pulling these. Yeah, that's kind of me. And uh, you get the curtain pulled back and you get to see a little bit about uh, what it looks like trying to lead this church and what we're trying to accomplish and where we feel God leading us. And so... Uh, that's kind of the, the hope for this message this morning. Uh, on the screen is a picture of a church in Cambridge, England. That's, that's not it yet. Um, this church was built in 1130 AD. That was a good year, remember? <laughs> 1130 AD in Cambridge, England. This is the second Can you believe that? That's the second oldest building in Cambridge that still exists. It was built in 1130 AD, and it's a round church. Um, It was only one of four round churches that were built in England. Excuse me, there was more built, but there's only four that exist still today. And in 1130 AD, they built this church, and it was run by the Hospitallers. 
Yes, hospitals had churches back then. And the, the, they were knights, but they were also people who tried to take care of the, the needy and the sick. And they had a vision for Cambridge that the people would be impacted by the local church. They, they saw the church as a hub for the community. It was uh, the, central, the central focus of, of Cambridge. And economic activities went on at the church and the arts went on at the church and worship was supported at the church and social endeavors and all sorts of, in fact, most of, of all of life in ancient Cambridge happened at the local church. And uh, I have a Google Maps that shows exactly where this is. It's, uh, it's the, the blue dot there uh, in Cambridge. And that church no longer has folks meeting in it. Um, shocking, right? Because 1130, the, the methodology in church world has changed a lot since then. Um, in fact, I mean, 1130, uh, when was our country founded? When did people show up here? I mean, it's 400 years before the pilgrims arrived. And it's astounding how ancient that church and that building was. In fact, in the 1840s, uh, they had to do some work. They actually had a, a belfry on top of that church. Somebody thought, hey, let's put a big steeple on top of it. Um, they didn't have engineering like we do today. And, and in 1840, it was found that um, the walls weren't strong enough to support this old belfry that was on top of the building. So in 1840, they removed that and, and returned it to its, its, its old way, the way that you saw it. And uh, just imagine the, the church meetings that they had about that, um, trying to get that done. You know, well, I like the bell. Well, I don't like the bell. And well, the church is going to fall down if we don't move the bell. I mean, uh, just imagine. You guys who have been around churches will know en- enough that uh, churchy people can get into fights sometimes about stuff like that. And, and, and so in 1840, they had to change the church significantly. And uh, for a long time, there was uh, a church in that facility, and over time, it, it became irrelevant, and it became a museum in the town of Cambridge. It's open daily. You can visit the, the Round Church. You can't necessarily worship there, but uh, you can go inside and take pictures and see it and kind of read some stuff about it, and occasionally they have concerts or lectures there. Now, just down the street from there, uh, hit the next slide, is Holy Trinity Church, that other little dot. And Holy Trinity Church was built at about the same time, 1130 A.D., 1130, 1140 A.D. And Holy Trinity Church has an illustrious history in Cambridge. And one of my favorite pastors of all time pastored at Holy Trinity Church. His name is Charles Simeon. And Charles Simeon is so influential still to this day that seminary students... People who are studying to be pastors and ministers will still read his sermons. Now, that's significant because he pastored Holy Trinity Church back in the early 1800s. In fact, he pastored there from 1792 to 1834. 53 years. Uh, So I did the math wrong. There's something else going on there. You math people can figure that out. 
That's why I'm a pastor, right? Because they didn't teach mathematics at seminary. And Charles Simeon is so influential that you still read his sermons. In fact, one of his, his biggest legacies was helping pastors become good preachers. In fact, in Cambridge, there's still a movement that reaches from the late 1700s to today where they're still training preachers at Holy Trinity Church because of Charles Simeon. Now, Charles Simeon, if you can believe this, the folks that met at that church didn't want him. They didn't want Charles Simeon. And if you know anything about the Church of England, they appoint their pastors. You know, and so it was a union job kind of deal. And they, you get appointed if you're in a union. I'm sorry, but you, you get appointed to your position and the people uh, just are stuck with you. And they didn't like Charles Simeon because he was evangelistic. He, he wanted to, to see people come to know Jesus Christ. And he was just a little too out front about that. And so people in the church were like mutterers attended that church. And so. One of the things that Charles Simeon did, and it was, being, it was a college town. I mean, we wouldn't think of it like that in Cambridge, but it was a college town, still is a college town. And one of the things Charles Simeon wanted to do was reach out to the college students. And so he started what we would think of. In fact, InterVarsity Fellowship here in America finds its roots in Charles Simeon and some of the movements he began in England in trying to start college ministries, reaching college-age students. And so Charles Simeon wanted to begin Sunday night church services, which was unheard of at that time and place. And you know what they did? They locked the door so he couldn't go inside to his own church to have Sunday evening services. <laughs> he didn't get the hint. He, he kept doing his thing. He kept trying. And eventually, he won those folks over or he drove them off to the roundhouse because they still have their church going on, the round church. Uh, those folks might have eventually gone there. But he persisted. And he stayed there for 53 years as the pastor. And because of his longevity and because of his vision and because of his faithfulness to Jesus Christ and the scriptures, there are still waves of influence from Charles Simeon that are felt even today. You feel them because I have been influenced by Charles Simeon. Now, what if Charles had given up? What if Charles had had just said, you know what, forget you guys, I'm going to go elsewhere and try this thing. My guess is God was going to honor what Charles was trying to do. And God would have taken care of Charles and he would have, he would have found his way. And, and what if the church, I mean, he's been dead a long time. Anybody remember the year 1854? I think that's about when he died. He's been dead a very long time. And his legacy continues to this day. And the church, when you visit their webpage, because Holy Trinity now has entered into the 21st century, 
And, and they have a webpage, and you can listen to the sermons from the vicars who are preaching there, and you can hear the gospel proclaimed. And they have a little webpage that says, are you, are you investigating Jesus Christ? Are you investigating Christianity? And they still very much feel Charles Simeon's evangelistic zeal and his desire to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And that church is alive. That church has been there for over 800 years, and it has gone through multiple expansions. In fact, their original building burnt down, so they had to build a new. Of course, that was like 11, you know, something or other. Um, and they've gone through multiple expansions, multiple remodels, and it continues to this day. In fact, when you go to their webpage, you see that they say on their website that over the last few years, they have seen an amazing amount of growth, especially amongst young people, young couples in their 20s and 30s. I think they're set for another go. Another generation is, is infusing energy and vision and life into Holy Trinity Church. And I wanted to start out this message kind of comparing and contrasting these two churches. Because every church is one generation from closing. Every church is. In fact, sadly, in our own community, there's a church that's wrestling with whether to close their doors or not. And I pastored that church for a time. And in ways, it breaks my heart that this church might close. And I, I honestly don't know how to feel, and I don't know what to think. And it, it, the, the parallels between these two churches and, and the two churches in Ray are so interesting to me, because they started about the same time, and they're only a few blocks apart. And, and they've had illustrious histories in their own right. And they've experience God in different ways. And I often wonder, what is the future for the church of Jesus Christ? And not just this church, but for any church. I mean, if we are always on this razor's edge where we are just one generation away from shutting our doors, you know, those of you who know me and know the story of me coming to town here, uh, my children, when we, when we went to the Presbyterian Church, my three kids created a nursery at the Presbyterian Church. And when we came to this church, my children doubled the size of the nursery at this church. Talk about a talk about dangerous place to be. Because if the church is only one generation away, from shutting its doors and there's no kids in the nursery you're very close aren't you you are very close to shutting your doors in fact there are some scholars who study church life and churches and they would say if you get to that point where you have no kids in the nursery you just should shut your doors at that point or you need to do an entire church reboot you just got to rethink how you do church and you got to rethink how you do life. And honestly, that's kind of sort of what's happened around here. We did a bit of a reboot. Um, for those of you who are visiting and you think, boy, this is 
one of the weirdest rooms I've sat in in my life, and that's bizarre stage, and what's going on here? This doesn't feel like a church. Welcome. <laughs> right, this is a weird room, and this is a strange stage, and this isn't a normal church, and uh, it hasn't always been this way. And I won't bore you with the details of that. But what we have been trying to do at our church is to figure out a way to be church that is relevant to Ray. And when I say relevant, what do I mean by that? Does that mean like, you know, hip, cool music? Does that mean jeans and dress down casual? No. That's not what that means. When I say a relevant church, I, I hearken back to a verse in Jeremiah 29, 7 that doesn't even talk about a church. But it talks about a people. It talks about a people. It talks about the children of Israel. It talks about the Jews when they were in exile in Babylon. And when they were in exile in Babylon, uh, they had a couple of options. They had just gotten there and and they were trying to figure out what do we do with our lives. And, uh, you know, just think about it. If, you know, somehow we were drug off into exile. And we had a couple choices. What will we do? How will we handle that? And some of the folks thought, you know what? We're not going to be here long. God's going to rescue us. He's going to get us out of here. This is not going to last long. So just you know, keep your bags packed. Be ready at, the, at a moment's notice to get on out of here. And then they got a letter from Jeremiah, the prophet. And it was, it was a disturbing letter because it's not what any of them wanted to hear. Anybody ever get a letter like that? You get them from God more often than you realize. And and this letter from Jeremiah said, settle down. Build homes. Give your kids in marriage. Because those of you that are older aren't going to make it back to Israel in your lifetime. And those of you who are younger will be old once you get back. You see, Jeremiah told them that your exile is going to be for 70 years in Babylon. 70 years. And so for many of these people, in fact, all of these people, they're thinking, how do we, what do we do? We don't even like the Babylonians. Now we're stuck in Babylon. They're not kosher. They're filthy. They follow the wrong gods. They are, their culture is terrible. We don't like them. What do we do? How do we remain Jews, but yet live here for the long haul? And Jeremiah shares some wisdom in, in 29, verse 7. He says this, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You see, the dilemma was, these are our enemies. We want Babylon to fall. (laughs) We don't like Babylon. You know, kind of for some Denver Bronco fans, Oakland, right? I mean. That's one of my go-to examples. You all know how I feel about that. But we want Babylon to, to, to just fall off the face of the earth. We want God to just 
destroy them and rescue us and send us back home. And now the prophet is saying we should work and pray for the prosperity of Babylon? Because we're going to be there a while. And if it prospers, we'll prosper. Now, why would I go with text like that when I talk about church life? When I talk about what a church is supposed to do in a community? Well, it might take us a while to get there, but hang on. You see, I believe, as in the words of Bill Hybels, who's pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, Illinois, I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. I do. I absolutely, completely, and totally believe that the local church is the hope of the world. And I believe that God desires that there are great churches all over the place. That there would be great churches all over the world. That there would be great churches in Oakland and in Denver. That there would be great churches in Yuma and in Ray. That there would be great churches all over the place. And that these great churches would not exist just for themselves. That these great churches don't exist just for the folks who are there. But they exist for the community. They exist for the community of Ray or Yuma or Denver or Oakland or wherever they're at. And I believe that God desires that that towns and cities would be great. But the means by which those towns and cities become great is through the church. Do you remember the church? The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is what it was called, the first picture, the round church. You see, back then, it was run by knights of a hospital order. (laughs) And they provided ministries of mercy to the people. They provided food and shelter and justice to the people, to the entire community of Cambridge, whether, whether you believed in that church or not, whether you attended that church or not, that church was a hub in that community. And Holy Trinity, which still meets to this day, is a hub in that community. You see, and I believe that Cambridge, the entire city of Cambridge has been blessed for over 900 years by the church, Holy Trinity. Not just those who attended, and not just those who believe the way the folks at Holy Trinity believe, but I believe the entire community of Cambridge has been blessed by that church. Because that church practices ministries of mercy. Because that church reaches out into its community and it's become a hub of activity in its community. It reaches out to new college students who come from all over the world and study at Trinity there in Cambridge. And they seek to minister to young people who move into their community. They try to do all this in the name of Christ. You see, I believe that the scriptures create a case for us that we are to be a movement of people that are seeking to make Ray great. Not just our church great, but Ray great. The means by which Ray becomes great 
through the church. Now, why would I say that? Because think about it this way. When Jesus came into the world, he came as king. He did. He came as the king, but the world did not recognize him as king. So the world rejected him. And he came and he died on a cross for our sins. And now he rules and reigns in heaven, but his rule and reign on earth is advancing quietly and subversively in the lives and the hearts and the minds and in the churches of those who know him. And one day, Jesus is going to return. He's going to return on this white horse. I mean, if it's supposed to be taken literally, um, it's going to have wings probably because it comes through the air. I don't know. But he's going to return. He's going to have a big tattoo on his leg. Um, he's going to have a big sword. And he's going to, you know, take names and kick butt. And Jesus is going to come to, to, to reveal himself as king. And he's going to come and he's going to reclaim all of creation as his. And you see what the church gets to do now is start to exert his rule and his reign and the benefits of his rule and his reign in the world now. And so one of the questions I always keep in front of me is if Jesus was in charge of Ray, and I know for some of you that is a really scary idea. And you're thinking, man, this is a bunch of Christian right craziness. And that's not at all where I'm going with this. But if Jesus was in charge of Ray, what would Ray look like? Would there be hungry people in Ray? Would there be sadness in Ray? Maybe, but I think there'd be someone to dry those tears. Uh, Would there be harmony and justice in Ray? Would everyone benefit from King Jesus being in charge of Ray? Regardless of whether they are a Christian or not, regardless of whether they like him or not, would everybody benefit? Would there be enough water in Ray? Would there be arts and flourishing in Ray? Would there be food on the grocery stores? (laughs) Would everyone benefit if Jesus was in charge of Ray? And for me, the answer is an, an absolute yes. Yes, everyone would benefit from Jesus being in charge of Ray. Because as one boat, as the tide rises, all boats rise. And Jesus would have that effect. He he would benefit everyone, whether you believed in him or not, whether you followed him or not, whether you worshipped him or not, whether you came to his church or not, everyone would benefit. And I believe that's what this verse in Jeremiah 29 says. That you are to pray for the peace and the prosperity of the city. Not only that, you're supposed to work for the peace and the prosperity of the city. I believe that's what a church is to do. And I think that the elders and I, as we've thought through the future of our church, we try to keep in front of ourselves some questions. I don't know if they know this or not, but I've tried to do this. You see, if your intention is to build a church that you can house a bunch of people for one hour on a Sunday morning, you will build a particular looking kind of church. 
And if that is your goal, to have a, a, a service on Sunday mornings where you can accommodate a bunch of people and, and you have no other ideas and no other plans for that room, you will probably build a room with pews that are attached to the floor and with a sloping floor and a big fancy pulpit and sound system and, and, and all these fancy things in this room because you're only going to use it one time a week. But if you are asking a question, how can we make Ray a better place? And not the question, how can we have enough space for ourselves on Sundays? And my guess is you will design a very different building. You will design a very different facility. You will design a building that is big enough to accommodate your group on Sunday morning so that uh, you can have comfort and space and accommodate more people coming. But as soon as you're done, you can say, hey, we have that big dinner right afterwards. Please take your chairs and spin them around and help us get the tables out and roll those out into place so that we can put all those around. And we have you been smelling the prime rib during service? Because we have a facility that will seat 200 people for a sit down meal. What would Ray be like if there was a, a facility, a place that sought to make Ray a better place, that sought to benefit everybody in Ray, whether they believe the same way we, we do or not, whether they, they follow Christ or not, but it, it encouraged and strengthened everyone in the community and made Ray a better place? What if you were asking questions, what does a single mother in our community need? What does a single mother need in our community? Would that cause you to build a different facility? And if you don't ask that question, what do kids need in red? Not just our kids, but our kids have friends and they have other kids and those kids need to benefit because we believe that the church is the hope of the world. And we believe that the church is meant to make Ray a great place. And so what kind of facility would you build with thinking about the children in Ray? <laughs> when we lived in Denver, Marnie and I, uh, when we had our small little people in Denver, you, you would just get, you know, Marnie would get to the point where it's like, let me out of the house tired of these little people. They were freaking me out. <laughs> and do you know what malls in Denver did? They created these soft little playgrounds for children. Malls. What's the motivation of a mall to do that? It's not kindness. Oh, those poor moms stuck in their homes. If we can get mom to show up, she'll buy stuff. And if she brings her kids, Mommy, I want that. Please, come on. She'll buy more stuff. Because the kids will harass her. But what if a church, because it just wants to benefit people and care about people and love people and help everybody in Ray, what if a church built a soft playground for harried mothers? And they could come and bring their kids. Whether they believed what we believed or not. Because they just need that place. 
became a watering hole for those moms. So they could sit and chat and talk and go, oh, I know, I, I don't understand why my kid eats crayons either. <laughs> and that's what your voice will sound like if you eat crayons. <clears throat> you see, if you ask these kinds of questions, you begin to build and create and envision a whole different type of place. You see, we believe that the church is the hope of the world. And we believe that God wants to create a movement here in Ray that will benefit everyone. And we believe that movement has begun. And you're part of it. And we believe that God wants that movement to continue, but he also wants it to grow. Why? Because I am an egomaniac. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Because living things grow. That's like the definition of living. Living things grow. And so a church that is healthy and living will grow. And its influence will grow. And its, its opportunities will grow. And it, its sphere will grow. But with growth comes change. My kids are all becoming teenagers. I think maybe we should stop that. <laughs> How does one stop that? There's no stopping it. Except if they cease to exist, which right now is not an option. So I feel pretty good about them today. It's like Bill Cosby. I brought you into this world to take you out of this world. And there are those days. They're entering into their teenage years. And there are some days that their, their brains are just bathed with hormones. And their little bodies don't know what to do with them. And they're just confused. And they're, they're, they're changing. And mom and dad are like, oh my gosh, when? And they are like, blah, blah, blah. And there's... There's pain and there's frustration and there's anguish and there's crying out and there's like, oh. But it's growth and it's for the best because in only a few years they will be leaving. <laughs> and I know when that happens, I will be crying and upset about it. But right now. <laughs> And if a church is a healthy, growing place, there will be change, and there will be expansion, and there will be opportunities, and there will be frustration, and there will be irritation, because there's adolescence. And there will be disagreement. But that's life in a living church. You know, dying churches have disagreements too. But eventually, those disagreements end. Living churches can work through those things and watch and expand and grow Christ's influence. Well, I hope and pray that this vision energizes you like it does me. I gotta be honest, there's some days that I just get tired. I wonder... And I struggle. I mean, we all have those kind of days. 
And when I come back to what I sense and pray and feel God wants to do, man, I get stoked. I get excited. I get scared. And I wonder how. When I first got to this town, I never envisioned being the pastor of just one of these churches. And I was absolutely convinced that if the yoke ever broke, I would have to leave. Because I would have made too many enemies at one church and they would want me out and my family would be miserable and I'd feel miserable. And I actually tried to take another position. Some of you remember that. I actually resigned from this church. Some of you wish I had stayed that, of course. And I accepted a position at a, at a church in Greeley. And we later found that that was not God's will for us. And we resigned. Or we, res- we, took, we resigned our resignation. <laughs> we stayed put. And I remember Sandy Ming, who was back here when the pews were in here. And, and she said, oh, I'm praying that God will... I'm praying that God will keep you here and that blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, a lady, it's going to take a miracle. Because <laughs> at that point, I felt that. Because Jesus said, you can't serve two churches. Or wait, masters. That's the original Greek is masters, but I think he had churches in mind. You can't serve two churches. These are great jokes, by the way. <laughs> but I thought, something's got to happen. Something's got to change. And I had no way of figuring out what that change what that would look like. And I was scared. And some of you were scared. Maybe you were. And, and it changed. And look where we are today. It's amazing. And none of us could have pictured that. None of us in our wildest dreams would have thought, you know, if you just stick it out, you'll be giving away 10% of your offering every week. What? We don't even have enough money to make sure Steve will stay every week. So, I believe the best years for this church are ahead. I believe the best years for Ray are ahead. I believe that those go hand in hand. That this being a great church will make Ray a great town. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these great folks, for their faithfulness to this church so many times, so many years. And I do ask and pray that you would continue to envision our future for us. And that you would help us to listen to you and to hear what you have for us. And that you would embolden us to strengthen us for the opportunities that lie ahead. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May we make this city great because we are a great church. Amen. Amen.